Okay, welcome everyone to this episode of the Naked Guru Experience. These are conversations of psychology, spirituality, philosophy, and consciousness. As ever, it always helps if you like and subscribe to our content. And a big thank you to our sponsors, the Psychedelic Society. Today's guest is Andrew Gallimore. Andrew is a neurobiologist, chemist, and pharmacologist interested in the relationship between psychedelic drugs, the brain, consciousness, and the structure of reality. He is currently based at the Okinawa Institute of Science and Technology, Japan. He is also creator of the Alien Insect Master Course, available for free online to everyone. Welcome, Andrew, and thanks for agreeing to the discussion. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah. So I wanted to kick off straight away to let you know that I've, I've been doing your um, Alien Insect course. And Fabulous. Yeah, I wanted to tell you a big thank you for putting this out, and a bigger thank you for putting it out for free for everybody. I think that's yeah. Cool. yeah. Yeah, well, I wanted to, uh, yeah, there's a lot of misunderstanding and, um, well, poor understanding about psychedelics that's uh, propagated online, and um, I thought, yeah, uh, it, now's the time, I think, to, um, particularly with COVID-19 and, and really having, uh, normally I would be lecturing and preparing for, to speak to people, you know, in at conferences or whatever. Um, but because of this COVID situation, I thought, okay, if, if there's ever an opportunity for me to have some time in my apartment on my own in the dark, uh, <laughs> doing a doing a kind of a course uh, and put it on YouTube, I thought that's perfect timing. And um, yeah, I think doing it for free is um, is the most ethical and noble thing to do. <laughs> <laughs> Generous, uh, very generous. So it's. Um, I also wanted to comment as well. Your energy is fantastic in it. You know, you as a person, very energetic. It's a very interesting course. I recommend it for um, anybody that uh, that's watching. So, I, I I also want to comment. This is going to be a very British and a very bold podcast. So, yes, <laughs> so I wanted to start off with. Um, you know, one inspiration you've been to me, and, and, and I think what you've done for humanity as a, as a whole, is come to look at DMT, and not just as a therapeutic medicine, or not, not just as a, um, a drug, of course, but as a technology. And uh, defining in that way, I think, is, is uh, something quite, uh, you know, your, your one of your defining uh, um, features. And so I just wanted you to explain a little bit why you class it as a technology and, uh, and, and how you came to that. Well, I think, um, I mean, we both know that, that DMT appears to offer, uh, it's, it appears to grant access to remarkably complex and interesting domains that are uh, replete with this extremely diverse hyperdimensional ecology of intelligences and and there's two things you can do with that. You can you can say, okay, it's just a hallucination, and we can kind of dismiss it like that, and that's the kind of orthodox approach. Or one can take it kind of seriously and say, well, maybe DMT really does grant access to intelligences not of this universe. Uh, and if one does a, adopt that position, or at least if one is open to that possibility, uh, then what is DMT? Uh, it's clearly a, a communication technology of some sort. It's a reality channel switch technology, as Terence McKenna used to call it, right? Um, it's not just a drug. Uh, it is a tool. Um, and it's not just a tool. It's a tool that can be developed. It's a tool that we can learn 
to use uh, and that we can improve upon. Uh, and that, to me, sounds like a technology. And and once you once you regard DMT as a technology, then you begin to think of it slightly differently. You get beyond. Um, you get beyond the kind of slightly romantic ideas of uh, almost ideological positions sometimes about how DMT should be used. Um, and I pe think people kind of paint themselves into a corner a little bit and say, oh, you know, DMT is a, it's a spiritual technology or it's a, it's, a, it's a means of communicating with the plant spirits. You know, all of this is fairly good, uh, interesting stuff. But um, I think, you know, as, as humans living in the modern world, um, that's not how we approach technologies. You know, when we're working out how to communicate with uh, aliens on the other side of the galaxy, for example, we tend to think in human technological terms. What we don't tend to do is think, well, let's ask the plant spirits. And I'm not degrading or demeaning that or denigrating that that worldview, but that's a shamanic kind of indigenous spiritual kind of worldview. It's not a modern 21st century Western world the worldview. Um, so we should, you know, bring our tools to the table, not the tools of, a, of, of other um, civilizations that we probably don't understand, right? You know, when, when a shaman says, I'm using the plant spirits um, to diagnose this disease, we, it's, it's Westerns. Westerners, we don't really understand what that means. We might pretend to, and many, you know, anthropologists might come a lot closer than a lot than most of us. But most of us don't really know what 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 they're talking about there. Um, so so why 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 approach it from that position? And it's also quite woolly as well. It's um, it, it leaves it leaves a lot of gaps for woo to kind of creep in um, if you if you approach DMT like this and. And you can see it online. You can see it. You know, I get castigated by people uh, quite regularly online <laughs> saying that, you know, DMT should be, it's a spiritual thing. It's not a drug. It's a spiritual whatever. Um, and um, you should um, you should be using, you should only be vaporizing it as if that wasn't, you know, as if extracting DMT from mimosa hostilis root bark <laughs> using sodium hydroxide and petroleum, uh, et cetera, and, and recrystallization techniques wasn't technology. Of course it's technology. <laughs> it's a modern Western technology. Ayahuasca is a jungle technology. That's an indigenous technology uh, for sure. Um, uh, but it's a type of technology all the same. You know, what, what we do in the West is, very, is kind of different with purified DMT. Uh, and so, I, so once you accept that DMT is a technology for communicating with intelligences from another place wherever that place might be and that we're you and that by extracting DMT from natural plant sources or synthesizing it or whatever we are using modern human technologies why should we why should we stop that um, and so so by thinking go to go circling back to your original question by thinking about DMT as a technology it opens up new avenues of how we approach DMT uh, um, how we use it. Uh, and this led me, of course, uh, as most people who know me know about my work on the kind of extended state DMT stuff you know, with Rick Strassman, uh, the idea that you would bring someone into the DMT space and then hold them there for extended periods of time using modern 
uh, anesthesiological uh, techniques, you know, that are used in medicine. Do you get the, we've had that, we've also spoken to Rick Strassman, do you get the mm. impression there's a difference in your interpretations of, of what it is and how it's used? I don't want to be too, uh, <laughs> but do you, do you see that there's a potential difference there or? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, me and, me and Rick, we, um, uh, you know, Rick come, has a, his own particular worldview on these things. That he did, <laughs> and um, he's, you know, he's, a, he's an interesting character because he, he's always, to me, he's, he's kind of a, what's the word to use, kind of a very straight scientist. Yes. Uh, and that's, that's kind of important for, 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 for certainly for his DNP studies uh, back in the 90s. Um, but then he kind of sometimes he kind of kind of strays into more kind of metaphysical or spiritual territory when he starts talking about you know the, you know calling his book the spirit molecule for example that's clearly um, that's not a, you know a purely kind of straight square sign, scientific person's title of their book um, yeah. so you know so 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 Rick is is not afraid to speculate uh, but he speculates in different directions to me you know he has. He's now gone, he's kind of returned to his Jewish heritage and he's approaching it from, you know, the Hebrew Bible and stuff. I mean, this is like completely out of my arena entirely. I don't go there. But but what me, whilst me and Rick, we certainly differ in some of our interpretations, what we share is a, um, is a, a willingness to speculate and to go beyond and to kind of push the boundaries of what is, might be considered acceptable within, uh, within the kind of academic scientific arena. Yeah, and as you say, his his work in the '90s really pioneered pioneered this kind of work, and and we all should be very thankful for it. It's, um, so I wanted to. Uh, there's a lot of interviews with you online, and um, and we've spoken about DMT uh, as a chemical in, in depth with a number of speakers. I wanted to really jump into the DMT. Um, I, I first wanted to discuss what it, what it is you're actually uh, creating in. in with your, is it is it the DMA um, DMatrix? The what? Dmatrix machine. <laughs> yeah, the Dmatrix machine. And, Dmatrix, uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so, what is it you're actually doing there? What are you hoping to to achieve? Well, so I mean, what am I doing? I mean, I'm actually, to be honest, I'm doing that very very little. I mean, what I did, as I said, is. Um, I wrote this paper back in 2016 with Rick Strassman, yeah. uh, in which we basically we used his basic. Originally, I had the idea that you know, looking at the um, the kind of the pharmacological properties of DMT, that it's very short acting, it doesn't accumulate, uh, it uh, rapidly passes the blood-brain barrier, it's um, it, it doesn't exhibit subjective tolerance, so you can give someone a dose repeatedly and they get the same effect every time, which Rick Strassman demonstrated in the 90s, despite what you might read online, yeah. that's what the science shows. Um, so uh, in addition to thinking that, well, the DMT experience is profound and powerful and strange, uh, but it's also very, very brief. Um, and if we do, as I said before, if we do regard DMT as a technology and we want to develop it as such, then it doesn't make sense to rely upon um, kind of decades old, really, administration techniques. You know, certainly with DMT, you know, vaporized DMT probably started in, in the 60s, right? Um, 
and so and that by far remains the most popular mode of administration but but it, it you know, means you your the level of dmt in your brain rises very rapidly you reach a kind of breakthrough peak state yeah. you're in the dmt space you're communicating with these intelligences um or normally you're kind of wide-eyed and astonished and really can't get your head around what's happening and then you're coming out again uh that's not a particularly uh conducive to exploration or more importantly to establishing two-way communication with any intelligences yeah. uh, so i thought you know dmt seems to be it's it, it, it's almost like dmt as a drug as a molecule was designed uh, to be uh, administered via this kind of intravenous infusion protocol uh, because it has all the all the correct um pharmacological properties, the same properties that an anesthesiologist would look for when they were looking for an anesthetic drug. So, yeah. you know, an anesthesiologist, when they put someone to, to sleep, what they want to do, ideally, is to use a continuous infusion uh, of the drug that's, that's informed by a mathematical model of the metabolism and distribution of the drug. The idea yeah. being that they raise the level of the drug in the what's called the effect site, i.e. the brain. Uh, and then hold it there at a specific level within a certain window. Uh, and then they can push them deeper, or they can bring them out, more shallow anesthesia, and they have control. Yeah. Um, and so what you don't do is you don't inject them with a drug that kind of knocks them out. This is not the 19th century, right? You don't kind of knock them out and then kind of hope they don't wake up whilst you've got their chest open or whatever. Um, you, you want to have a short-acting drug that that doesn't exhibit tolerance and etc. and it's non-toxic, etc. etc. Uh, so DMT has all these properties. Um, so I thought, okay, let's let's design a uh, a target controlled intravenous infusion protocol. So this is the same protocol that anesthesiologists use, but let's do it with DMT instead of anesthetic drug. Uh, and so to do that, you need uh, you need blood concentration data over time. So you need to know how DMT is metabolized. And distributed through the body over time, yeah. Uh, and that Rick, I knew that Rick had that data because he'd published some crude, basic kind of graphs of, of this blood data. So I know he must have had it at some point. Uh, so I emailed Rick, and you know, within 30 minutes, I had a couple of Excel spreadsheets which had the data. So he managed to have dug up this uh, data from from 20 years ago, um, and we worked, We went from there basically. So I, I went through and did the the pharmacokinetic analysis, the kind of mathematical modeling, uh, and then we got got together and we kind of wrote the paper, um, and and then we managed to publish it. And and so this was the kind of the first, I think, mathematically informed, uh, pharmacologically informed um, model of this kind of. This kind of approach to DMT administration, um, and and of course it catches the imagination, right? Because people think, oh my God, you know, you can, in theory, you can send people into the DMT space for hours or days or or weeks at a time. There's no yeah. theoretical end to this. Uh, so this idea of the dematrix machine is kind of a, it's a theoretical machine, but it's perfectly technologically plausible in which you would basically lie within this pod, uh, you would hook yourself up to the machine. Uh, then you would input some kind of you know, journey time, so 30 minutes, three hours, whatever. Yeah. Uh, and then the machine would, based upon your weight and your age and your metabolic profile, it would calculate the, the correct infusion protocol. And then you would lie back and it would 
bring you into the DMP space and hold you there um, uh, for that period of time, then it would bring you out again. So that's that's how I see the future with DMT. I don't, I see it, uh, I think DMT is a, it's a democratic drug. Uh, I don't think it's something that should be just in the hands of the, the scientific people, um, you know, academics or doctors, whatever. I think that you know, these places, these realms should be accessible to all. And they are accessible to all. Uh, everyone can, pretty much everyone is with a bit of, um, Tenacity can find and extract DMT. It's not it's not rocket science, so to speak. Uh, but in a way, it kind of is rocket science, right? Uh, uh, you kind of get fired, off, uh, uh, fired, kind of uh, in, in a rocket into into hyperspace, right? But anyone can achieve a, a, a access to the DMT space. Um, but I think I think the, the technology for extending that and bringing people into the space for, for extended periods of time where they can actually spend some time there, orient themselves, um, uh, kind of establish communication with, with beings, you know, two-way communication, and then bring information back, perhaps. So I think um, that's how I see the future of DMT administration is using these kind of D-matrix machine technology. And um, one of one of the great insights I think you had into that is that you would. You, you suggested that you would send uh, artists, mathematicians, physicists, different people to have a, a kind of different perspective on, on, on that. Is, that. is that correct? Yes. So, uh, yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So, so I would suggest that, um, you know, if you want to explore the DMT space and map the DMT space, it's not just enough to get kind of brave volunteers. You need people who are able to interpret it properly. Um, and, and, and there are obviously a number of disciplines there. You know, you're going into this hyperdimensional, um, highly complex realm. So it's not it's pretty obvious that, that someone who was trained mathematically, uh, particularly in, in the kind of the geometric uh, branches of, of mathematics, uh, would might be able to interpret the kind of structures and say yes this is a this is a particular type of uh, geometry that you're experiencing here um, yeah. this is this thus this is how we might map it you know this is how you might traverse it because obviously how you traverse a 2d plane uh, is very different to how you traverse a three-dimensional space uh, yeah. how you then traverse a five or six or seven dimensional space uh, you know you can think of different spatial topologies um, that, that you might find within space. How do you deal with that? Uh, and a mathematician might be much better equipped to get their kind of uh, get their bearings and orient themselves and work out what's going on in that space. So that's you know why mathematicians, right? Um, anthropologists, again for obvious reasons, you're dealing with intelligences. Um, linguists, uh, if you're talking about languages, can we understand the language that they're speaking? Um, yeah. Artists, of course, people who can come out and actually render these spaces in, in a visual form that people outside can see. Um, you know, what else? I don't know. Theologians. Um, <laughs> you name it, right? But you're going to have a team of the only people you probably won't have is the military. I think they can fuck off. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. But apart from that, um, um, I think, yeah, you're going to need a whole range of, of disciplines. Which is it's absolutely parallel to what we would do if we were uh, the front, uh, traveling the frontiers of space, right? If we were sending people off the planet, that's that's who you'd want to represent humanity. And, right. and what I like about your work is that it's very analogous to this. It's 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 space travel, 
Um, and this is where I think we can go a little bit deeper into into that rabbit hole. It's like, what what do you think? Oh, just one more question first before we do that. Has there any progress been made on developing the actual hardware for this, for this intravenous and, and then holding this level of DMT? This is anybody building it or? <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, yes. Well, the hardware kind of exists, right? So, you know, this, this target controlled intravenous infusion machine is something that's used every day in hospitals around the world. Right. Um, you see, uh, the, the, the difficult thing really is, is programming the machine because the machine will deliver the drug based upon a whatever you tell it to, you know, over time. So, you, you know, you start at this particular number of milligrams per minute then you kind of decrease it over time or whatever in order to keep the level constant in the brain. Uh, that's, that's the difficult part. Uh, and that's something that with anesthetic drugs uh, is, is normally an iterative process. So it, it takes place over, uh, over really of decades of, of, of use of, of a particular anesthetic and they improve upon uh, the protocol. Because of course, my, the model that I developed with Rick was kind of for an average person, right? But an average person doesn't really exist. And, and how people respond to the drug and how it distributes and is metabolized will depend upon a number of factors that, that are idiosyncratic, that are individual to a, an individual. Um, so that's, I think, the most difficult part uh, is, is, is actually developing the, the science behind it um, rather than the actual machinery. Um, but of course, it depends upon what level you want to take the machinery. Do you just want to have... Um, a, an infusion machine that will deliver the drug into your bloodstream. Well, if that's the case, then the, the hardware already exists. Uh, but if you want, you know, this kind of pod idea for me was was pushing this further. The idea that you might actually deliver nutrients into someone's body, uh, deal with waste products uh, that would actually expand the time period um, that you could actually put someone under or into the DMSP phase four. Um, so, so if you're if you're going to be someone's going to be in the DMT space for kind of less than a day or something like that, um, then fine. You just hook them up to the machine, deliver the DMT, uh, and then monitor their vital signs, basically to make sure nothing untoward happens to them. Uh, but of course, if you want to put someone in there for a few days or a couple of weeks, then you have to think about nutrition. Um, obviously, you have to think about getting rid of waste as well. Um, so, so these are the kind of things again that are, uh, you know, you can look towards modern medicine. You know, if someone's in a, uh, intensive care, in in let's say a, an induced coma for several weeks, uh, how do you deal with nutrition? How do you deal with waste management? There are ways of doing that. Yeah, uh, of course. Uh, and you can again, you can adapt these technologies. Um, to to this kind of dematrix machine, I think that's where we're going to be in the future. Is that you will actually be able to lie down, you know, for for several weeks uh, in a in a state of essentially suspended animation. It sounds very sci-fi. Right? Sounds crazy to me. <laughs> <laughs> but but it's not it's not kind of it's not totally insane at all. It's no, within the realms of of, of even current. Uh, medical technology and um, and certainly in the future you look to the 10 20 years in the future um, that technology will have obviously moved forward so I think yeah I, th I think we're only uh, maybe a decade off this technology being mass-produced maybe 
So tell me, there's a team of people all busy in a lab somewhere, all working on this, right? <laughs> Is there a specific team? like Area 51 or? <laughs> I can't tell you. No comment. <laughs> no, I mean, no. Um, no, there aren't. Well, not as far as I'm aware of. I mean, there are teams that are. So, as I said, the, 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 the key issue is in developing the model. So, the, my Van Rick's model was what I would call a proof of principle. Uh -huh. It says, okay, DMT could be used in this way. Now, there are other teams. There's one team. Well, the Imperial College team is collaborating uh, with uh, guys in, in Europe somewhere. I forget exactly. Uh, we're collaborating uh, to basically refine this, pharmaco this pharmacokinetic model, this mathematical model, so that it's... So it's closer to being ready to implement in humans. Um, so that the Imperial College team would like to use this technology mainly as a tool for studying the effect of DMT on the brain. So you can you can put someone in an MRI machine and hold them in the DMT space for an hour rather than just a few minutes, which is if you want to do um, functional MRI techniques, you know these are normally take a while. These take 20, 30, 40, 50 minutes. So you know with with um, with psilocybin and LSD, it's much easier because it lasts a lot longer. With DMT, it's not so. So there are, there are very practical reasons why you might want to extend um, the DMT state. Now, uh, there are there is another team in a less kind of scientifically oriented team who are DMTX.org out of Boulder, Colorado, of course, um, and and they they are looking to develop the technology for closer to the original. For me, anyway, close to my original reasons for developing the technology or, or for suggesting the technology. I haven't really developed the technology myself. Uh, I merely developed the model for the technology. But um, yeah, they're, they're more interested in using DMT for kind of exploration as the kind of the next frontier of, of human uh, of human exploration of, of other worlds and that kind of thing, uh, and establishing two-way communication with alien intelligences. So that's kind of more of the the outs, kind of the far out kind of approaches to to using the technology and there are other people that have, have said have written there are articles that have been written that, that suggest that other people are looking to make this dmt machine and so it wouldn't surprise me if there are people if there are pockets of individuals working kind of clandestinely um to develop this but um as far as i know there's no kind of dedicated team looking to develop this i mean there's no reason why there shouldn't be i think uh, I think it is, uh, but you know, get, you have to get funding. And, um, Only the, the legal side, the legal consideration as well. In, in yeah, the... that's also a, a serious issue, particularly for the for the group in Boulder, is that they, yeah, they they can't just administer DMT to people because it would be they'd be breaking the law. Yeah. Um, so they they have to think about going outside of the country. And Costa Rica, I think, is is where they might have established or found a location where they can do it legally within Costa Rican law. I don't know anything about Costa Rican law, but presumably they're a little bit uh, easier going, which yeah. makes sense. You know, it's a DMT and the Amazon obviously have a very close relationship. Um, yeah. So I guess South America or Central America, anyway, is, is closer in that direction. So perhaps that's not so surprising. Um, so, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me if, if the, the first trial for this came out of Brazil or something like that. Um, or, or equally, uh, London, you know, from a more scientific perspective. But once you develop the technology, then there are, you can get offshoots. You can get, so even if you are approaching this from a purely scientific perspective and just wanting to look at brain activity in the DMT, 
But you can still ask people about their experiences. You can still ask people to do tasks. And there are, there are, there are lots of other experiments that you can do kind of off the back of a kind of the more foundational scientific experiment. Yeah. So hypothetically, uh, a little bit like Inception, if, if one was to go into one of these machines, we, we may hypothetically assume that they would experience time differently in, in, in that time may be longer in, in those kind of realms or feel longer. Some people often come back and report having, it felt like it was, you know, one, that 10 minutes was actually an hour. And so if you did a whole day, would you, would you kind of speculate that one day could in fact feel like weeks? In an inception yes. model. <laughs> yeah, that's certainly true. And we don't really understand the nature of time in the DMT space. And we don't really understand that. I mean, time as it's perceived, you know, subjective time and clock time are obviously very different things. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, 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 and the brain keeps track of events uh, in order to kind of get a, a kind of a grip on, on the way that time moves. And that's why time can move, appear to feel, feel like it's moving more slowly or more quickly in, in certain circumstances. Uh, and that's kind of fairly well understood neuroscientifically. But I think within the psychedelic space, it's certainly known. It's been known really since people started taking acid uh, and psilocybin that, that you know, climbing, a, climbing a flight of stairs can seem to take forever. Um, so there's mm. clearly an effect on time perception, which isn't surprising because, you know, psychedelic drugs are modulating, they're modifying the way that you experience the world. Uh, and of course, time is a big part of that. Um, so that doesn't surprise me. So, yes, whether it's simply that when you're in the DMT space, you're experiencing time differently or whether if you know the DMT space is a kind of objective reality, time operates differently there. Uh, people sometimes describe it as a timeless space. Um, yeah. That might be simply that the brain doesn't know uh, how to pass the movement uh, of time, basically. Um, so, so perhaps that you know that could be something again that changes as you um, as one becomes oriented in the space and as, as, as your brain, because what's happening really is that. When you go into the DMT space, your brain is, is, is const basically constructing a new model of reality. That's what it's doing. You are, the world you experience is always a model of reality. It's always a model constructed by your brain. Um, and so when you go into the DMT space, that also applies. Your brain is constructing that reality um, as a model of the DMT environment, assuming that the DMT environment actually exists. Um, and um, yeah, so... so so when you first go into that space, your brain is, well, it's, it's quite remarkable, actually, that your brain is able to even construct this space. I mean, that, if you think about it, you know, the brain, we evolved to construct the normal waking world, this environment we're all familiar with, which we evolved to construct in millions of years, in which we learned to construct, our brain learned to construct in the moment we leave the womb and before. Um, and so the, the brain's ability to start constructing these highly complex, elaborate and Spaces filled with you know, hyperdimensional objects and intelligent beings is a remarkable thing in itself. Um, but certainly, I think that if you, the longer you spend in the DMT space, the, the better will the brain's ability uh, to to model that space. The, the brain's ability to model that space will improve over time. 
and, and the space might stabilize. Um, so this year, again, is another reason to go in there for longer. Um, you know, you, when, you, when you're kind of fired into the DMT space and you, you have no time to get your intellective tools in order, you're kind of astonished, you're disoriented, uh, you don't know what the fuck's going on, and then you're dragged out again. Yeah. Uh, it's not a very diplomatic way to approach a new somebody else's realm um, for, for a start, but it also doesn't really give your brain a chance to, to orient itself and realize how to best construct a stable, coherent, and predictable model. Uh, and so, so hopefully, when you put someone in that space for hours at a time, their brain will stabilize. Their brain will learn to construct that reality. Um, and that might help as well with, with how the brain is able to actually perceive time in that space. It might find that the brain gets a handle on event structure, um, which, which, you know, temporal structure, basically. So, you know, the, mode, the passage of time in that space. So that might change. Now, it still might be stretched out, whatever. Uh, but it might be it might be easier to manage. Now, this of course raises a question of, of mm. if you put someone into that space for days or weeks, um, bringing them out of the space might be tricky because mm. because the brain essentially has learned to be you know brain has been constructing an entirely new model of reality for, for several for, for a long period extended period of time, uh, and then coming back and having to kind of construct this model of reality. I, th I think the brain is perfectly capable of doing that. I don't think that people are going to be stuck in the DMT space at all, because clearly, um, you know, it, it, it works both ways, I think. But it, there might be some adjustment time. You might not be um, um, going for your, you know, going for lunch after you, you know, the morning after you wake up. I think you might have to spend a day or so kind of convalescing and recuperating from, and, and basically, yeah, reminding yourself that you're human. Um, I think that's, that's kind of an issue, I think, that you will forget that you were ever human, and that would be quite a shock. Um, mm. um, and perhaps, yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, yeah. You just touched very, very briefly there on something that I'd never considered before, and that's a, an idea of social etiquette, the etiquette of popping into somebody's dimension and then popping out again. So if yes. if could just hypothetically say these dimensions are objective realities that exist and we have you know us other teenagers sat on the sofa vaping a dmt pen and every five minutes popping into somebody's reality it's like sitting in your front room and having you know an alien crash through the wall in a spaceship and and then and then crash right. out. What, what the hell is that and so right. it's interesting that idea <laughs> well i think so most people don't consider it um, you know, it is. It's like someone peering through your window and, <laughs> at night when you're watching television or something. It's like, fuck off. You know, <laughs> shut the curtains. And, <laughs> and, and, and I think, yeah, bursting into someone's territory and kind of looking around wide-eyed. Oh, what are you doing? Who are you? Do you exist? Uh, you know, it's like, fuck off, do I exist? Who the hell are you? I've been here a lot longer than you have, my friend. <laughs> Um, you know, and so I think, yeah, there's a cavalier kind of attitude to this, which I think disappears when you actually start to be, take DMT um, a little bit more seriously or sincerely at least and, and think that, yes, we, you, we really could be bursting into somebody else's realm. Um, yeah. and, and, and if we accept that that may be the case, then we should perhaps approach it like that. I'm not saying that nobody should smoke DMT. I think smoking DMT and going into their realm is fine, but just realize what you, you could be doing here. Uh, don't be a dick. 
yeah. um, I think, is, is you know, is the, the golden rule, I think, uh, <laughs> in these approaches, you know. And, uh, and certainly... That should be their intention <laughs> before going in. <laughs> the right. Right intention. Don't be exactly. a dick. Right. Don't be a dick, yeah. <laughs> Um, and uh, and and certainly from a longer you know a longer term perspective, I think we should be. Um, I mean, we are kind of we're like little kids of of of, of kind of, of hyperspace, right? And, and we aren't expected to know all the rules, um, but we are. We do expect to get a slap on the slap on the wrist when we do something stupid, um, and we should expect that. And we shouldn't expect. We shouldn't think that this kind of uh, this bravado that we we exercise in, in on Earth that we can necessarily transfer into the DMT space because we you know and that's obvious I and mean, people get slapped about um, quite regularly um, if you go in with that attitude so that's general good advice for people who are smoking DMT is um, yes of course don't be a dick but don't think that you are you know cock of the walk um, <laughs> you know that that you are this kind of uh, you know that you sit at the top of any kind of hierarchy. You know we certainly sit at the top of kind of the intellectual, uh, cognitive hierarchy on Earth. One could say, uh, but that certainly doesn't apply in the DMT space, and we shouldn't think that it that it, that it does. Um, so yes, go into the DMT space, smoke DMT, but um, be be respectful and be and realize that you might well be actually communicating with intelligences that are billions of years. You know, perhaps orders of magnitude older than our universe, um, and that you know we are the neophytes, um, uh, and that's again part of the the reason why I suggest that we should, uh, you know, as a species at least, we should adopt or, or work towards a more kind of diplomatic approach to the DMT space, in which we actually do develop technologies for for going there, but for staying there, not just popping in and out, but for staying there, introducing ourselves, uh, and and actually establishing communication and that's that's the diplomatic way to go yeah so just to go a little bit deeper as well then um as we work with these things seriously and we consider them seriously with, with the respect as we've just discussed um we find the, the the journey is one of kind of stripping away uh, versions of reality we thought we knew and kind of coming to, coming to terms with new realities that are, are more weird and more bizarre than we could ever have imagined and I wanted to know for somebody as yourself that has worked with worked on this for a long time, and it's a big part of your life, uh, in, in your professional life and your personal life. What is the weirdest thing you've had to come to accept, uh, or, or not accept, but possibly even consider about the nature of our uh, circumstance here? The, if you catch my question, is that is yeah? That or? Well, I think that. I think instantaneously, when the first time you smoke DMT, you you instantaneously realise within a minute, I would say, that um, that you haven't got a fucking clue uh, what uh, what the true nature of reality is. Um, <laughs> that that's clear. Uh, we have no idea what's going on, and you know this is why I would I, I would love to get these. I, I remember it's not so much now, but back in the back in the 90s and the, the early kind of the noughties, uh, it was it was cosmologists, right? And you would they would kind of and they would you know, you'd watch TV programs and they'd have them on the blackboard writing equations and they would they would talk about the Big Bang and they would so knowingly and it's like yeah we we know everything uh, and and uh, you know and I, I kind of. 
I, I have complete respect for these kind of people, but I, I often think, you know, you you really need to take some DMT, my friend, because, you know, have as Terence McKenna used to say, have I got news for you? <laughs> um, and I think, so yeah, so I think if you if you think you've got a handle on, on reality, know what, what, you know the nature of, of reality, you know the structure of reality, you know where we are, where we came from, and you know, kind of an armchair physicist, you know, we came from the Big Bang, it was a small hot mass, and expanded, and oh, that explains it, you know, or if you're a religious person, you might say, well, you know, we were created, you know, God saved us out of claim, you know, okay, that explains it, um, and then suddenly, um, you're kind of face-to-face with this, with this hyperdimensional being from another universe, you know, in this kind of infinitely complex hyperdimensional omniverse that you that you that not only did you not suspect existed but that you could not have conceived of um when that happens there's no going back i think uh, yeah it, it completely uproots all of your basic fundamental ontological assumptions about who you are and, and your place within within the grand scheme of things that's the first that's the major thing uh, and that's something i don't think you ever get over no such um but what you can do is kind of um Kind of gather yourself together and think okay is there something we can do with this can we do we have to just say okay this is this this is too fucking bizarre there's nothing we can do with it um we just have to accept that we're this thin slice of reality uh we're stuck here um and yeah maybe we can pop into this other reality occasionally but basically you know that's all we can do because this place is too bizarre it's too strange uh, for us to ever get a handle on um, yeah. I think that's slightly kind of defeatist attitude, and um, which is why I've always thought, well, let's try and think about let's, you know, we, we we're clearly embedded within some kind of reality structure. It's larger, more complex than we could ever have conceived of, uh, but we're part of it. Um, there's no reason why we shouldn't ask questions and. and think about whether that whether there is some kind of way that we can get to grips with with the DMT space whether we really can become um, um, you know kind of interdimensional citizens of hyperspace is the phrase I use in the book you know to kind of jump over galactic citizenship but actually to become citizens of this hyperdimensional kind of omniverse um, why not why why not think of such things you know that would obviously be the greatest leap in um, technological, cognitive, intellectual, scientific, revolutionary, you know, transcendentally transformative leap in, in the history of, of, of humankind when we establish communication with intelligences, you know, not just not of the earth, but not of the universe at all, um, and establish the existence of these places, map the structure of these places, actually become embedded more firmly and embedded and in communication with um, this larger reality structure. Now, I, I heard you quote, uh, is it J.D. Turner, who, who in the past described a, a, a kind of a laboratory research center with humans uh, plugged into pods, uh, very much, very much alike to uh, The Matrix. And I, I thought, yes. could, could we go a little bit deeper into that? Because I found that very interesting. Because this was, this was actually quite an old quote, right? It was from somebody, was it? Yes. It, in the 1800s Actually, or something? No, no, not the 1800s. Goodness. I wish. 
Yeah, yeah, I really do wish. No, it was actually 90, I think 96. So it was, it was a pre-Matrix. That's the key point. Um, so it's actually DM Turner. Yes. So DM Turner, DMT. So he was a, um, that, not his real name, I assume. Um, but yeah, he was a kind of a, um, he was a psychonaut. He died in the bath. He took ketamine. He appeared to take too much ketamine and was found kind of face down in the bath, drowned sadly. Uh, but he, um, one of his trip reports, weirdly, the trip report wasn't a DMT trip report. It was a salvia trip report. Right. Uh, he'd taken salvia. You can actually find the trip report in um, the in in his book, the the essence, the psychedelic essence of salvia divinorum, which is a thin book, um, uh, which came out in the nineties. Um, and he wrote about one of his salvia experiences, in which he found himself um, in a laboratory of kind of places, and there were people in these in these pods. Um, kind of like science fiction kind of pods, and they were being fed uh, with with tubes or with some kind of matrix that was feeding them and removing waste from them, just like I described. Um, and and that th these pods were being used to raise the level of DMT in someone's brain, uh, so that it could be held there over time, uh, so that they could, you know, they could be transported and they could voyage within the DMT realms. Um, now, I had no idea about this until, uh, so David J. Brown, who is another kind of quite prolific psychedelic author who is in Australia, I think. Yeah. Uh, anyway, and he's just sent me a, last year, he sent me this message on Facebook and he said, have you, have you read this trip report? And I, I hadn't read it. And I thought, fuck, yeah, that's exactly kind of what I'd been describing, um, having never actually seen that trip report. So... So yeah, it's it's a little bit creepy. I don't know. Um, I mean, it's you know these kind of ideas aren't out of the realms of kind of science fiction anyway. But certainly, uh, I, I found it interesting enough to kind of bring it up. Because I was basically I was preparing a lecture for Breaking Convention in in the UK in Greenwich. Uh, my DMT I gave two lectures last year, but uh, one of them was on this machine. And um, as I was preparing, literally as I was preparing the slides for that lecture. I got this message from David J. Brown. So, okay, I need to talk about this. Um, so, yeah. So, uh, um, so clearly, other people had thought about this uh, or had experienced this D-Matrix machine uh, long before I was ever thinking about it. And this was 96. I was a teenager. Um, yeah. I, wasn't, I certainly wasn't thinking about You know, I really barely discovered DMT when, um, the, you know, when, when this trip report was written. So, there you go. So the sentiment I get from you, Andrew, is that, that you see this as interdimensional travel throughout the universe, a technology for interdimensional travel throughout the universe, and the universe is populated with beings that we can travel to and meet. Would that be correct? If, if I was no. just... No. <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, you're kind of correct, apart from when you say the universe. I mean, I don't think that you're going to other galaxies within the universe. I don't think it's as, I don't think it's as simple as that. Okay. I think you, you're, you're actually accessing other uh, orthogonal places. So you might want to say orthogonal dimension. I don't like the word dimension so much because it's it's abused. Um, but um, yes, it, yeah, essentially we are talking about other places. Now where 
where are these other places? I don't know. Uh, but clearly, somehow, um, they're probably not in this universe because we live in very much a three-dimensional plus time universe, um, well, at least in, in its gross kind of ostensible manifestation. We live in a yeah. three-dimensional universe, so I, I don't see it. I don't see it. We're going just to another planet. Um, we're, we're actually seem to be accessing a high-dimensional space, so a, a space that is orthogonal to, uh, but somehow um, accessible from our universe. Um, so some there's some way I think that when DMT enters the brain, it allows information to be transmitted from this other place, and that's the key requirement here. It's not about voyaging. It's not about traveling. It's not about going anywhere mm. um, that's important. You don't have to go anywhere. And this is quite a common misconception, the idea that you're kind of traveling to the DMT space. You're not. What's happening is um, DMT is altering the, the, the informational uh, structure, if you like, of the brain, the, the patterns of information the brain generates, such that information can be received from this other space. Um, now, this is something I devote a lot of time to thinking about in my book, Alien Information Theory, and it, it, again, it, it takes a lot of explanation. It's quite quite complicated stuff. But that's the basic idea. That's what you have to achieve. To achieve interdimensional communication, you don't have to get on a spaceship um, and you know, travel to another galaxy. Uh, you simply have to somehow gate the flow of information from that other space, that other place into your brain, such that your brain can then can start to try to make sense of it and, and to build a model of reality based upon that information. And uh, then, so what are, you, what are you working on right now and your future plans? Where, where is it all going for you? Like, what, what is your main preoccupation? I know you're doing the alien insect um, course and whatnot. Is, is that where your main focus is at the moment or...? So, so the so the, the course on so that yes, yeah, so my YouTube course is so the Alien Insect Psychedelic Neuroscience Master Course. So it's a it's specifically it's a course about uh, it's this, the neuroscience of psychedelics. So trying to explain how the classic psychedelics anyway. Um, so LSD, psilocybin, DMT, mescaline, etc. Uh, how they work in the brain, how they produce their effects. So if if you if people are interested in understanding from the molecular level. What's going on at receptor sites? How that relates to how that um, results in changes in uh, ne neurons, nerve cells, brain cells, and then how that results in the change in brain activity and how that manifests as a change in the structure of your reality. If you want to understand all of that, this is the course to take. Again, it's like 42 video lessons uh, over eight units, um, and it's it's free uh, at the moment, anyway. So you know, I could take it down at any time. So. <laughs> So, um, so take it now, <laughs> you know. Um, so yeah, so go to my YouTube channel, Alien Insect, for that. Um, I'm currently, so, yeah, that kind of is kind of finished now in the sense that I'm not actively working on it. You know, it's produced, it's out there. Um, I am working on at the moment. I'm writing my second book, uh, which is more of a um, kind of following on from the the, the, the the neuroscience course. Is that it's basically a a detailed account of the, the mechanism of action of psychedelic uh, drugs, um, again, from the molecular through to the kind of global cortical level, but not just classic psychedelics, but also the tropane alkaloids so from Datura, um, salvia, um, ketamine-like and PCP-like drugs, um, you know, all basically all classes of psychedelics. This book will basically explain to people exactly how they they, they 
They basically switch your reality or they, they change the structure of your reality using psychedelic neuroscience, basically. So that's what I'm working on at the moment. Um, and there are other things, of course. I mean, my day job, of course, I'm, I'm, I'm a computational neuroscientist. So I'm, I'm modeling the brain, basically, at, at different levels, at the subcellular level, uh, modeling the interactions between networks of molecules inside the brain, but also networks of neurons as well, trying to model the psychedelic state, this kind of thing. So, yeah, um, keeping myself busy. I had uh, just one little um, other question, one last question, mm -hmm. and it's... When we enter these psychedelic spaces, the, whatever the method is used, usually we experience feelings of uh, non-duality um, and oneness and love. And from, from a neuroscience perspective and both your personal opinion perspective, what do, what do you feel that actually is? What, what are we talking about there, do you think? Well, I mean, when it comes so love, I mean, I'm not going to get into that because that's a it's very it's a very personal and subjective thing, right? And I, I don't think it's necessarily helpful to try and explain what love is uh, because yeah, first of all, because I couldn't, um, and um, uh, and secondly, because um, yeah, it's it's very subjective and very personal, an individual thing. So if people are experiencing love, a sense of love in the DMT space. I would take that for what it is. I wouldn't try and explain it, or certainly wouldn't try and explain it away. Now, when it comes to oneness, I mean, there's something, you know, what, so one thing that, that your brain does on a kind of, on a moment-to-moment -moment basis, your, your brain is always constructing a model of your, as I said before, a model of your environment. It's also constructing a model of yourself, uh, distinct from the environment. Um, so you have networks in the brain that are basically sculpting these models and keeping you. So when you're doing things, yeah, you're aware, you get a feeling it's you doing something. When you pick up an object, um, you get a sense that it's you get the sense of agency there. You know, it's, it's you doing this. So there's always this sense. And when you're kind of laid on your back thinking about your summer holidays, um, then uh, it's there's a clear distinction there, you know, of what's going on in your head, so to speak, and what's happening outside, despite the fact that actually all of it's going on in your head. Mm. And yet there's a, there's a clear separation between what you're doing, what's, what's you, what's in your mind, and what's going on outside. And the brain has to maintain that differentiation. Now, what psychedelics do is they disrupt all of that. They break down these networks. Um, and, they, and thus they disrupt these models. And so the differentiation between oneself and one envi one's environment, or even oneself and other selves, other people, starts to dissolve. And one realizes actually that it's kind of a, uh, uh, an artificial distinction between self and the environment. You actually realize actually you are just part of this larger structure. And so yeah. that's where I think this... Um, I guess really in a way it's a more of a natural kind of state you know this oneness with the environment it's not an illusion it's not a hallucination it's actually closer to the, the reality you know we aren't really kind of a separate being that's distinct from the environment we are part of it uh, we're embedded within it uh, we just happen to be kind of observing it for some reason from our this kind of personal perspective uh, but we're certainly part of this larger structure. And so, so awareness of that is something that, that is achieved, I think, by the psychedelic's ability to break down these kind of self-other, self-environment models. 
uh, and that of course once and it's kind of perhaps natural when you experience that is it's kind of oceanic boundlessness the sense of, of having no boundaries and just be swimming in this ocean of consciousness when you experience that it's perhaps not surprising um, when you realize actually that you know, just your your own little self you're actually part of this something much 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 larger much greater that it's not surprising that that would be accompanied by feelings of love and empathy and gratitude and all these kind of wonderful things it's it's duality that's actually the, the illusion or closer to the illusion. right right yes yeah. so again you, know, you can think future, that would be another aspect of, of duality right the self and other yeah um, me and them you know um so yeah you are dissolving that you are breaking that down and, and realizing actually that you're that it's it's part of a, a, a unified a non-duality that's kind of uh, that, um, that, that duality is, is kind of an illusion, yeah. So would, would you say that it could be uh, technically more true that this conversation is actually just happening between one person? It's, it's a oneness talking to a oneness uh, outside of self and other, at the deeper level. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think I think so, and that's that's what the, the self fundamental. And we're getting into kind of um, almost Vedic territory now. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I think you know uh, fundamentally at the deepest level, that's what's going on. I don't. I think you know, I I do. I I'm not a well, I'm not one of these neuroscientists that thinks that we're going to get to grips on consciousness by trying to explain it in terms of. Um, in terms of brain activity, I think it's fundamental. I think what brains do is they, 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 in some way they structure consciousness, or they are a structure of consciousness. They are, they, they, they pattern consciousness, um, or they are a pattern of patterns of consciousness in some way. But I think the fundamental information generation from which this universe emerges is, is probably fundamentally some kind of fundamental consciousness, and one can see that patterns of consciousness kind of self-organizing and self-complexifying form what eventually emerge as brains and as, as, as beings that have their own kind of individual perspectives um, but but yeah I think that is um, yeah that makes we're sense. Almost, we're almost spiritual we're almost in the spiritual territory there we are we are <laughs> we are straying into that territory yeah <laughs> Well, Andrew, it's been a pleasure talking with you, and thanks for agreeing to the discussion. I think your work is really important, what you're doing, and you're pioneer, pioneering it forward. It's, it really is brilliant. Where can people find out more about you? Yes, yeah, so please go to my website, buildingalienworlds.com or alieninsect.net. Both will take you to the same website. There you can find my lectures and my... Uh, podcast interviews and slides and uh, papers that I've written, articles that I've written. So that's would be the first port of call. Uh, my YouTube channel is Alien Insect, uh, where if you want to look at my, uh, want to take my course, again, it's entirely free. Uh, you can buy my book, Alien Information Theory. You can find that on Amazon or uh, at my website as well. If you're interested in the relationship between DMT and the structure of reality and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and of course, follow me on Twitter and Instagram. Alien Insect, all one word, is my handle on both of those. Uh, if you want to kind of keep up with me on a more kind of day-to-day -day basis. Perfect. Starting a revolution. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs>